Father, we thank you for that reality of a God who's with us. You are the king above every other king. You're the one who leads, who guides, who shapes, who molds, who challenges, who convicts. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your word and for the way that you use it, your work unfolding in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that your word would be proclaimed and go forth with power this morning and that it would change, that it would impact, that it would bear fruit in our hearts and our lives, in our church, beyond that in our city for the glory of your name. Open our eyes to see you and our hearts to know you, that we would become more like you. Just reminded again of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, arise and shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. May we see your glory this morning. May it rise upon us. And may we shine the glories of the great and glorious one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's see where we go this morning. I have kind of two things on my heart. I want to continue this account, pick up where we left off. Last week, as Adam preached a message from Acts 3 and then into Acts 4. But I I not only want to encourage us from Scripture, I want to attempt to try and put this passage that we're going to read into a context and a practical application that we find ourselves in right currently in the midst of this season. And you know, I don't think I could have chosen a more applicable passage than these words that we're going to read in the midst of some of the things that we are facing in our times, in our day. So let's read these words and let's pray that God would use them for his glory. So to get us up to speed, we looked at the beginning of Acts, uh, the story that begins in Acts chapter 3. It says, of course, Peter and John were going to the temple. They see this man who'd been lame for over 40 years since birth. There's this incredible healing, and as Adam talked about last week, the people were greatly amazed, and of course, the religious leaders of the day were greatly annoyed. What an inconvenience. What are we going to do with this? He was born lame. He's now walking. They're proclaiming the greatness of this man called Jesus, and we'll pick up the story in verse 4 and 10. So Peter's given a a public proclamation. It's a wonderful sermon that all of us would do well to examine, continuing this theme. And then he's brought before the rulers and the elders and the scribes. It says, all gathered together in Jerusalem, the high priest is there. And it says, let's pick up the story in verse 8. Then Peter, it says, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, verse 10, here it is, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, remember we looked a few weeks ago at Peter's initial sermon, this Jesus, Jesus, he's still on the same bandwagon, isn't he? 
hasn't lost any of his passion. This Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pause there for a moment. So here's the scene. The miracles happen. Peter has boldly proclaimed again the greatness of the gospel. This person called Jesus that they were called to to go throughout the entire region proclaiming who he was and what he'd done. And they're brought before the leaders. They're questioning him. He said, well, if you must question us, let there be no shadow of doubt. Let there be no confusion exactly what it is that you've witnessed. Exactly what it is that we have seen as this man who was born lame is now walking and leaping and praising God. This is the simple reality. This is what we are all about. This is our mission. This is what we live for. You notice what they don't say. It's not to say we're, you know, we're here to build churches. We're here to, to build public ministries. We're, we're here to provide care to the poor. He says something very different, doesn't he? And you'll notice if you haven't picked it up already, how many times we come back to this reality. He says, let it be known. This is Jesus. And there is no one else above him. There is no one else beside him. There is no other name given to men by which we can be saved. There's one name. There's one name that heals. One name that rescues. One name that redeems. One name that every knee will bow before and acknowledge that he Alone is God. And it's the name of Jesus. It's Jesus. There's only one name. Let's continue on a bit further. So it says in verse 30, Now when they saw, and I love this passage. This is easily one of my favorite accounts and descriptions as Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he pens this. He could have Put in and left out many details, but I'm so glad he put this in here. I love this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? What does this boldness look like? Well, we don't know exactly, but we know what it doesn't look like. It says very clearly they perceived, they saw that they were uneducated, common men. It wasn't because of the letters after their name. It wasn't because of their profound words of intellect. It wasn't because of the clothes they wore. It wasn't because of any externalities. They were just common, as common, we could say, perhaps as you and I. You know, the only thing that marked them, the only thing that set them apart was what? that they've been with him. And yet I would say to us and encourage us and myself included, so often it's easy for us to get caught up in the externalities, isn't it? In the appearance. Well, we've got to make sure that we've got the right music and 
the, you know, the, the right songs that we're singing and the right buildings. We've got to make sure we look the part. We've got the brand name, everything. We've got the slogans. We've got the contemporary catch phrases. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with them. But do we have in our midst this undeniable recognition of the one thing that counts? They've been with Jesus. God, let us come back to that place where the world would see us, whether there's fancy buildings and you know, contemporary cutting-edge performances. There's nothing wrong with that. But, Lord, let the thing that marks us be this reality that they are astonished because it's undeniable. They're so marked and changed by one reality. They've been with Jesus. And you know what's wonderful about that? There's, there's no hoops you've got to jump through. There's no qualifications that you, you need to make sure you've got to be able to be a part of that camp of people. All you need is that passion to know him, that we would be that people. Amen. So they say, well, what do we do with these people? We clearly cannot deny this sign. Verse 18. So it says, they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They can't deny it. So let's, let's shut it down. Let's tell them that they're forbidden from ever speaking in his name again. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered, well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you can judge that. But as for us, verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. See, what are they saying there? They're saying, here's what you've got to... You judge whether it's right or not, but here's the thing. This is not just a philosophy. This is not just some subjective personal interpretation. Well, this this is kind of right for us. This is our little version. They said, no, this this is a proclamation of the truth. I mean, the guy is walking. What do you want us to do? Well, there's nothing to see here. Never happened. I'm not sure. There's something else. Is it... For us not to speak about this name that's just healed the man, this Savior that we've seen who's raised the dead, it would be in complete denial of the truth. What is it that you're wanting us to do? You judge for yourself whether it's right or wrong, but this, this, this is not just our personal subjective interpretation of events. This is the truth and the reality of this man who saves and rescues and the man who's just healed the leper who was crippled from birth. And I want to encourage us that the same is true today, that our faith is not built as much as the world would say, well, it's, it's just it's your version of the truth. If that's okay for you, then that's fine. The same reality applies for us in an age of subjective, you know, personal interpretation and feelings. We have the undeniable clarity of objective truth. This man who came and he split human history, he declared that he was God come to save and rescue and redeem. This mission of redemption. He died on the cross and he rose again and he appeared to the disciples and hundreds others and commissioned them to go and tell the world who he was and what he'd done. It's, it's not just something you could ever just keep in here. Well, it kind of works for me. It's, 
It's, it's my personal, you know, the way that I make sense of everything. It's either true or it's not. And if it is, then for us not to proclaim it would be in denial of reality. It's not just our truth. It is the truth. Let's move on. That would have been a good moment for amen, but we'll press through. Verse 23, what's their response? It says they, they wanted to punish them. They've, they've told them to be silent, but in the end, they let them go. And it says, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends, reporting what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard of it, they lifted their voices together to God. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, we read this before. This is, of course, a quote from Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. And here's their application in verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This undeniable recognition of the sovereignty of God. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Verse 29, here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue. Lord, protect us and preserve our churches and keep us safe behind closed doors. That's not what they say, is it? Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What did the Lord think of their prayer? Well, let's look at his response in verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, one more verse, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What an account. There's people who were marked by boldness. They pray for more boldness. God, give us more of that. And then the Lord shakes the very room in which they pray and sends them forth to continue to proclaim the word of God with even more boldness. So I want to just give us a few thoughts there about What I believe is something for every age, but particularly our age, that God would have mark us in the year 2021 in the midst of our circumstances. And that is that we would be a people marked by boldness, praying for boldness and filled with his spirit to continue to accomplish his work, his will with great boldness. So here's a couple of things that I believe are important for us that are so evident and obvious in this passage, in this area of being a people who were bold. What what does that actually look like? Number one, it's this. It's an undeniable assurance of his sovereignty. Undeniable assurance. See, what what is it that they say as they gather together, remembering, of course, we've 
read half the story this week, half the story last week. There's this incredible healing. There's a sermon that's proclaimed and everything gets shut down. They get dragged before the elders. They get told to be quiet. You're not to do this. You, 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 you must never do this again. They threaten them with all sorts of penalties and consequences. Eventually, because it would be too much of a riot, they let them go. What, what, what do you make of all that? Highs, lows, struggles, victories. Here's, here's what they make of it. And not only that, in verse 28, they said, For truly, here is what we have seen, that in the midst of Gentiles raging and peoples plotting in vain, even the specifics here of Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, one undeniable certainty that we have built our lives upon and that we're reminding ourselves is that all that your hand and your plan has predestined has taken place. In the midst of it all, there is an outworking of God's undeniable plan and an assurance of his sovereignty. So I, I want to remind us that if we're to really walk in this boldness, there has to be this recognition and arresting in the sovereignty of God. And just think this through for a few moments. It's worth us just developing this. See, this was not some sort of a cheap, superficial, pie-in-the-sky idealism. Sometimes we're like, well, you know, God will work it together. And it's probably more wishful thinking that it is a proclamation in the sovereignty of God. But this proclamation that we see here in the midst of the lives of these disciples. This is something that had come through a process. Remember, this is the same Peter who now is marked by boldness. And we remember him in a scenario just some months, possibly a few years earlier as he's there and, and Christ is being put on trial. This one, this rabbi that he followed, he'd given up his career to, to say, no, I'll, I'll follow Jesus. And all of a sudden things hadn't gone according to plan, and he's accosted by a servant girl, denying to ever know Jesus. Now, you cannot tell me that Peter in that place was saying, oh, it's undeniable, God's at work here, he's going to work this all together. He's denying even knowing Jesus. This same Peter who wrestled not only through denial, but then doubt, well, I don't know what this is all about, I'm just going to go back to fishing. I'm just going to go do something I know that I understand. And in the midst of that doubt and discouragement, the Lord himself goes to find Peter. He says, Peter, come on. Back in the place where he called him originally. He says, come, be a fisher of men. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. It's an incredible picture and passage of restoration. See, the point is simply this. There was a process through which these believers had come to believe and rest in the assurance of God's sovereignty. And I think sometimes what we don't do well in the church is that we have no capacity to wrestle through doubt and discouragement and disappointment. See, the truth is, yes, God is sovereign, but there's also a reality, isn't it, that we don't always see the full outworking of that plan. And it's sometimes just a cheap, superficial throwaway to say, well, it's fine. It's going to be fine. God will work it out. Now, I understand that's true in the one sense, yeah. But there's also this reality of needing to wrestle through the doubt and the discouragement at times. Now, we don't want to go so far down that, that uh, particular path that we end up in the, 
the deconstructing progressive Christianity who make it their mission to enable doubt or to, to present doubt as the destination. Confusion becomes a confession. They say, well, we don't know for certain. Well, that's wonderful. That's where we're all supposed to get to. And I would say there's a process, but doubt is the process, not the final destination. See, what does Jesus do to John the Baptist when he's in that moment of doubt? Go and ask Jesus, is he really still the one? Jesus gives him evidence, yeah? He doesn't just say, well, just just tell John. He's just got to believe it's all going to be fine in the end. It'll all work out. He says, no, go and tell John. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing. I know he's in this place. Go and encourage him. Give him the evidence. Let let him wrestle through so that he comes to this place. He doesn't rebuke him for his doubt, but he doesn't leave him there either. This wrestling that results in an undeniable certainty. So I, I want us to grab both of those. I think we need in this time, we need to have that assurance and that recognition. God is sovereign. God is at work. God is the king and God is accomplishing his purpose and plans. But there's going to be a bit of a journey for us to get there. There's going to be a few moments of doubt. There's going to be a few moments of discouragement. We don't need to be afraid of them. They're the moments that we can turn to one another and turn to Jesus and say, man, would, would, would you just, just help me? Pray for me. Encourage me. Let's have room to wrestle together, but wrestling through the process so that we come out as they do, looking back, thinking, man, all that happened there, the the Herods and the Pontius Pilots and all that craziness and strangeness, we're now looking back with this undeniable certainty that God's in control. And if he was in control then, then he's in control now. We're, We're being told, be silenced. You cannot say anything. Do not speak out. Do not preach in the name of Jesus. But, you know, we're obedient to him. We've just got to trust him that he's going to make away whatever it looks like as we navigate this path forward. So there is a boldness that comes from this certainty of his sovereignty. There's a boldness that comes through this clarity of mission. I've mentioned it already, but what is it that they pray? They're like, God, we we know that your plan is taking place. It has and it will. So, Lord, Look upon their threats and things that are going on around and grant us to speak your word with all boldness. There was this clarity of mission all the way through the book of Acts so far. This is what we are called to do. Now, I, can't, I cannot help as I read passages like that and not think back to some of the other instances of the disciples who followed Christ for three years and... Even in the the very week that led up to Christ's crucifixion, they were still jostling for position, yeah? They're still arguing about, well, who's going to be the greatest? In fact, you know, a couple of them send their mum to have a little chat to Jesus and say, well, you know, just make sure when when, when this is all said and done, there's some some good positions, some good ministry positions, yeah? We, We want to make sure that that you know, we, we have places of authority. We want to make sure that our ministry is looked after and taken care of. And I would say there's probably few things over the history of the church that really have distracted us more than a focus on ministry rather than a focus on his mission. 
We've become so good at turning the mission into brands and labels and slogans and catchphrases. And so often, tragically, in the midst of that, lost sight of this urgency of a mission of Christ who came. And he said, go and preach the gospel. The certainty of mission and there's a certainty of the need to proclaim. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all, with all boldness. See, they'd moved from this place. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that they were hiding away behind locked doors. Saying, God, just, just keep us safe. Keep us safe here. And Jesus turns up in the middle of the room. Remember that scenario? It's like, hey, don't be afraid. Because they're all freaking out. Because Jesus has just walked through the walls and they're hiding away. What a transformation from preservation to proclamation. God, help us never to be silent. They move from this place of worrying about saving their own lives, keeping everything nice and neat and controlled. The only thought is how we can keep the doors locked to now this place of God. How can we get out there and continue to be proclaiming your word? Lord, how can we be, be safe? But Lord, how can we... How can we scream this from the rooftops? Give us boldness to tell others about this incredible Jesus who saves and rescues and redeems. And you might think, well, most of us are not locked behind doors in the natural. And we're certainly not in an era and a time where we're fearing the authorities to come and arrest us. Praise God, that may come. But all of us in different ways, I think we do a good job at times of keeping things hidden. Keeping things nice and neatly behind our little comfort zone doors. Well, I can't really speak up in my workplace or in my family. What what, what will people think of me? You know, it's, it's not popular to be talking about Jesus, to be talking about some of these issues. And yet, if we're to pray and desire this kind of boldness. It is a boldness that moves us from preservation to proclamation. Now, I give us that example, and I said very quickly here, I want to just give us a a practical application. I want to help us just kind of navigate some seasons and circumstances that we find ourselves in. This is just a bit of a family chat, just us and the internet Billions of people out there as it's broadcast worldwide. But quite seriously, there there is a sense in which I feel an urgency. I feel just that prompting of the Lord that this is a message and an invitation that's in season for us now in the midst of what we are facing. That we need to keep this example before us. And that we need to be willing to be a people who will pray as the disciples did. God, give us boldness. Look upon their threats, but Lord, give us a boldness to trust in your sovereignty. We've got to wrestle through it. Give us a boldness to move from ministry until your mission. And a boldness to move from a place of preservation. Oh, we've just got to save what we've got. We've just got to... You know, we've just got to keep it here into this place where, no, God, you've, 
you've got to give us a boldness to proclaim, to tell people. How can we not tell people about the love and the power and the purpose of Jesus? And, you know, it really does seem that every year the noise gets a little bit louder and the the darkness and the confusion and the brokenness gets a little bit deeper. It's the place that we find ourselves in. Most of us would probably be aware that this past week there was legislation that came into effect in our own city. In Canberra, this place that we live, we have our families, our workplaces, legislation that now makes it against the law to uphold a biblical worldview in areas of gender and sexuality. I think most of us would probably say, I'd certainly admit this, that I never thought there'd be a day where fundamental verses like Genesis 1.27, where God says he's created the male and female in the image of God. I mean, who would have thought that that would go from a mainstream view to a marginalized view, and now in certain circumstances to an illegal view, something that is against the law to proclaim publicly. And as I look at that, you know, it's easy for us to be heavy-hearted. It's easy for us to be discouraged. I've talked to some of us who've even been angry and stirred up, and I mean, we should never be angry at people, but there, there is. They're the ones who need Jesus. But there is this kind of holy righteousness at times that stirs up. And anger against sin and the depravity and the, the brokenness, the deception of sin as it plays out in the lives of humanity. But I want to encourage us that although we face difficult times, we face challenging times, that there is great hope and there's never been a moment where the light and the truth of Jesus and his glorious gospel shines more brightly. If I can encourage us hopefully in this this one, one little area and then we can pray and bring this time to a conclusion. See, there, there is this sense, isn't there, that the, the one thing that I understand behind all of what we're seeing is this, this longing and desire in the heart of humanity to find happiness. We want our life to have meaning, purpose, and significance. It was, in fact, Pascal, the famous mathematician, he said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this one end. The cause of going to a war and others avoiding it, it's the same desire attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this one object. It's the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. The words spoken some years ago by the famous mathematician Pascal. So there is this longing for our lives to have significance and worth, and this is The tragedy is that the mantra of our generation has been, well, this is the path to happiness. comes in many different flavors and formats, but the the heart is the same. The gist is the same. You just need to follow your heart. Find your truth. Discover your authentic self. I mean, it's crazy because it doesn't even make sense intellectually, does it? How can there be your version individually of the truth? I could believe that I'm a a world-class athlete. 
And most people say, well, that's fantastic. If you believe, that's great. But either it's true or it's not. And that's certainly not my authentic self because it's a lie and it's deception. Follow your heart. Find your truth. Discover your authentic self. The problem is, just think this through for a moment. If we're lost and we're broken, we're saying, well, you just need to look within yourself. What do you think we're going to find? We're going to find lostness. We're going to find brokenness. And we're going to find confusion. And you see, there's been this lie, hasn't there, from the beginning of creation. As, as God makes man and, and woman, as he places them in the garden, as he commissions them, as he calls them to love and to follow him. And right from the very beginning, there's been this lie of deception to say, well, he's He's withholding. He doesn't really have your best interests at heart. Look at, look at how your desire is stirred for that fruit, for that thing. If you just give in to that, God didn't really say, he really wants you to have what, whatever the spin is. If you just give in to your desires, you will find that which will truly satisfy you. Ignatius of Loyola, a famous Spanish priest, theologian who founded the Jesuit order, he said this, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. So we've really bought into this lie that is as old as humanity itself. Just follow your heart, give in to your longings, take it, and then you'll find what you are really seeking. It's the oldest Lie and from the beginning and to the end of human history, it will only ever result in brokenness, loss, confusion, and death. The only difference now is that we've written that lie into our legislation. And I want just for a moment to compare and contrast that with the glorious gospel. Because sometimes we've done a, a misjustice by really presenting some sort of similar philosophy with Jesus on the end. Well, that's really what Jesus wants. He wants you to discover your desires. He wants you to just find out whatever makes you, you happy and you know, he'll, he'll bless you in that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus came and he didn't say, well, go and find your own version of the truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, go and find your own way and try and stumble through. And he said, I am the way. He didn't say give in to the brokenness and make the brokenness your identity. He said, I am the life, the resurrection and the life. I've come to seek and to save and to heal and to rescue and to redeem. This is the glorious gospel that we cannot stop proclaiming. How do we respond to that which is around us? We respond with an undeniable conviction to the truth. With this reality that there is only one name that has and ever will save. There's no one else. But there's a Jesus. And he's the one who will find us and heal us. And show us the path that leads to true and everlasting life. The only one who can save us. And rescue us from ourselves. Can we get my lovely wife? How amazing is my wife? Three claps there, I'll take those.
I think you're deserving of many more. But Just put your Bibles away. I just want to finish with one final illustration. Then we're going to pray together. We had the, uh, the privilege last Sunday of um, hosting a, a team, Andrew Scarborough, Youth with a Mission. They came up and I, I love being around people who are <clears throat> so different than me. And if you didn't get a chance to meet Andrew, I mean, he is this fiery evangelist. That's his passion. That's his gifting. And so we did a bit of teaching and then we headed out um, just him and me actually we broke up into teams but just the two of us we went up the road just to the outlet center it's like right we're just going to let the lord lead us we're going to find whoever god will lead us to just to share the glorious hope of the gospel and i'll tell you what <laughs> being with someone like that is challenging and inspiring at the same time i think we witnessed to more people in 10 minutes than i normally would in far longer than i'd care to admit but there was that passion we've got to let people know about jesus there's someone who needs healing. Let's pray for them. Let's go witness here. Let's love these. There's Muslims. He makes a beeline. Quick. Got to share the gospel. Share about Jesus. And then we were heading off. We didn't have a long time to spend there, but we were leaving the outlet center. And there was a, a young lady. She would have been probably mid to late 20s outside the front smoking a cigarette. We're heading off. And he's like, no, we've got just, just one more. We've got to go. We've got to go and share about Jesus and the gospel to this lady. And so we walk up and uh, he's like, hey, can we talk to you? And she's like, what, do you want to smoke? He said, no, 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 no. It's like, do you want to have a go at me about having a smoke? No, no. He said, we just want to tell you about the glorious gospel and the Savior whose name is Jesus. And he said this, he asked her a question. And he said, it's a question I often ask. And he says, I'm always surprised with the answer. He said to her, has anybody ever told you that Jesus loves you? She was half bewildered, half emotional, didn't know what to think. And he said, you know, the answer she gave is the answer that I get all the time. All the time, more often than not. She looked at him and she says, you know, nobody has ever told me that Jesus loves me. Nobody's ever told me. I don't know how old she is. Mid, late 20s, maybe early 30s. Nobody has ever told me the good news of the gospel, that there's a Savior who came to rescue and redeem those that he loved. I just want to encourage us, you know, that there's people that are lost, so often it's just because nobody's ever told them that there's someone who's come to find them. People are hurting and broken because nobody's ever told them that there's one who's come to heal them, to rescue them, to redeem them, to lavish his love upon them, to give them a future and a hope. It's my prayer that prayer of the disciples will become our prayer. Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to never forget that you're at work. 
Give us boldness to grab a hold afresh this glorious invitation to be a part of your mission. Give us boldness to move from a place of preserving what we have. Put up the walls, lock them out. To this place of proclamation. What a gift it is that we have to offer those who desperately need it. You don't have to be a bold evangelist and rock up to some random person you never know. Because there's people all around you. In your family, in your workplace, the people you pass on the street, your next door neighbor. And they're just as, need, as in need of His grace and His love and His mercy as each and every one of us are this room, doing everything we can to love people, everything that we have to point them towards the only one who can heal and rescue and redeem. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning just for the weight of your presence. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of seasons and circumstances that are difficult and challenging, Would we be a people, Lord, who don't lean into despair and doubt and discouragement as part of the journey at times, Lord, but I pray that we would wrestle through to that place where there's a boldness, a place that we can rest upon in your unshakable sovereignty. And I pray that we would have the courage to be a people who would pray as the disciples prayed. Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon all the things that are happening around us. And give us boldness to continue to share the hope of the glorious gospel. While you do what only you can do. Stretch forth your hand. Save, restore, heal power of the mighty name of Jesus. Would this be the day and the time, Lord, where we again know the shaking of your Holy Spirit and the infilling power of your presence that we might continue to proclaim your glorious word with boldness and with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. It's going to get the ministry team to come out. It's an opportunity this morning for prayer. And I want to encourage you, you know, if, if there's anybody in this room, if there's anybody watching online and you don't know Jesus, when I say know him, I don't mean just in an intellectual or knowledge of him. I mean, if you don't know him as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who's rescued and redeemed you. It's as simple as choosing this day to put your faith and your trust and your hope in the power of his name, in the power of his blood to rescue and redeem. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Specifically as well this morning, I'd love to pray. If they're, if they're in your life, if, if you know that you need a greater boldness, If you're hearing boldness and you're thinking, well, 
That's, that's not me. And I'm not talking about that sort of boldness necessarily that means that we've all got to head out and start preaching on soapboxes on the street. I mean, if God calls you to do that, fantastic. I'm just talking about a boldness. To stand firm upon what you believe. A boldness. Maybe it is you're wrestling through the, the doubt and the confusion. A boldness to come place, to come back to the place where you stand steadfast on his sovereignty. Maybe it's a boldness to, to stand up in your friendship groups at school, at college, at your workplace. And you're like, God, God, I just need a boldness. Whatever that might look like. If that's you, I just want you to come. I want you to come. There's a prayer team. We'd love to pray for you in that regard. Of course, if there's other things as well, then prayer, prayer lines are open. You just come. You seek the Lord. We'd love to pray with you. Don't forget tonight, we're gathering here for prayer time. Look forward to seeing you both this evening and then also as the week unfolds. We're really going to gather together and pray. Sound good? Amen. Good. So if you want prayer, come now. Let's go. Bless you this week.